0: We've been studying from the book of Ecclesiastes now for several weeks with the thought in mind of the ponderings of the preacher. And I don't know if you have thought much about it. Since I'm preaching on it, I think about it a lot. You always want to make the sermon as modern and as relevant as possible. And when you think about what Solomon is doing in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's much like when I was growing up as a young man going to school, teachers wanted us to write a journal. A journal was sometimes a day-by-day, sometimes less frequent, but it was a record of what one was going through in life and records a real picture or snapshot, if you will, of that perspective of the way we were thinking at that time. Today, people rarely write journals. Today, they're called blogs. I don't know how many of you read people's blogs. Sometimes I read people's blogs and think, why did they write that? Uh, Maybe they ought to think about removing that. But there's one big difference. Solomon was inspired of God to record these messages. And yet at the same time, they reflect the fact that he has tried, if you will, every approach to life to try to find meaning. And Solomon has observed some things in his ponderings. As we begin, chapters 1 through 6 focused on the grim reality of life without God. In other words, if you just take this world and all that it has to offer, it really looks bad. And then when you get to chapter 7, there begins a change, and it's not so subtle to focus on devotion to God versus defiance of God. And in reality, all of us knows that type of lifestyle because we've seen people, even in ourselves at times, we're very devoted to God. And then there are times when we don't want to do what God wants us to do and we become defiant and we choose our own directions and we suffer the consequences for it. As the preacher ponders the meaning and the purpose of life, in the first part of chapter 7, he's going to provide some powerful proverbs to help man to see himself in light of God and in light of where God would have man to be. So I'm going to divide this chapter into two sections. first part is going to be the days of adversity. And if you listen carefully to what Brother Caleb read just a few moments ago from verse 14, you read about the adversity. And then the latter section is going to talk about the defiance of the Almighty and about how man does that and what results from that. I will tell you that chapter 7 is the longest of all the chapters in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so we're going to have to economize our time as we go through this section. But one way we're not going to economize is failing to read the text of the scripture. So if you will read with me now as we begin in chapter 7 verses 1 through 14. A good name is better than precious ointment and the day of one's death than the day of one's birth. Better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men and the living will take it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by a sad countenance The heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For like the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of a fool. This is also, or this also is vanity. Surely oppression destroys a wise man's reason. And a bribe debases the heart. The end of the thing is better, or the patient in spirit, or the end of the thing is better than the beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Do not hasten to be angry. For anger rests in the bosom of fools. Do not say, Why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance and profitable to those who see the sun. For wisdom is a defense as money is a defense. But the excellence of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to those who have it. Consider the work of God. For who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity be joyful. But in the day of adversity consider surely God has appointed the one as well as the other. So that man can find out nothing that will come after him. This section is not a series of disjointed Proverbs. When you read the book of Proverbs, sometimes you're reading verse 1 and it'll talk about one thing, and you'll read verse 2, and it'll talk about something else. You'll read verse 3, and it's even about something different from the two of those. And in some sense, they are like one verse at a time, a proverb, and then you go on, and they're not connected. That is not the case here in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. There is a theme that runs through this he echoes the theme established in the previous chapters, and that is man's pitiful condition. Here's who you are. Open your eyes and see your life as who you really are. So I want to take just a moment to consider some of these themed verses, if you will. Very first thing, a good name is better than precious ointment. You know what precious ointment is, don't you? He's not thinking like Neosporin. He's not thinking of something like a liniment. He is thinking of something like a perfume. That's the kind of ointment that was put on someone. He says a good name is better. Just like a good name will have a fragrance, if you will, it will have a positive influence, just like a perfume is supposed to have a positive influence. He said a good name is better than that. But then the latter half of that proverb sometimes has been misunderstood because he says, and the day of one's death and the day of one's birth. How many of you have heard it used, and I am guilty, of saying that the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth because you look at what all a person has accomplished in life. When you're a baby, you've not accomplished anything. But you look at a person who has died and you look back on a very powerful, a very good life. But that's not what Solomon is saying here. Better is the day of one's death than the day of one's birth draws attention back to chapter 4. In fact, there's two parallels to this verse. In chapter 22, 1 of Proverbs, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. A good name is very important. But in Solomon's perspective, if you go back earlier, he starts talking about what happens to a man who's labored and worked hard all of his life, and then he comes to the day of his death, and then you go a few years later, and nobody remembers who you are or what you did. If you go back to Ecclesiastes 4, and verse 2, he says, Therefore I praise the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still alive. In Solomon's eyes, if you see man as who he really is, he's better off dead. Now, I know that's not really a positive message, but it wasn't intended to be positive. This message is not supposed to make you feel good. This message is supposed to let you see who you are in this life without God. And number two, He says, better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men. And the living will take it to heart. The living will take it to heart. They'll think about this. One thinks more about the outcome of his life at a funeral than he does at a feast. When you go to a funeral, what runs through your mind? could be me in that casket. What goes through your mind if, if someone had an accident and they lost their life? Oh, it's, my life is so tenuous. I could easily be killed in an accident. If someone dies of a dreaded disease, what do you think about? I better go to the doctor and see if I've got something wrong with me. If a person dies of an older age even, you know what? I'm older than I was this time last year. It begins to dwell in your mind. He says it's better to go into the house of mourning than the house of feasting because the living will take it to heart. They'll they'll learn something from it. What do you learn when you go to a house of feasting? Not much. Verse 3, the heart is made better. Verse 3 says sorrow is better than laughter. For by a sad countenance, the heart is made better. When do you learn the most when everything's going good or when things are going bad? When do you really learn the great lessons of life? When the boss pats you on the back and said, "You've done a good job." Or when the boss comes and says, you need to work a little bit harder because you're not producing like you can produce. It may make you mad, it may frustrate you, but you learn more from trials and adversity than you learn from positive things. Think about that for just a moment. That's what Solomon's trying to drive home. Verse 4, he says, The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of the fools is in the house of mirth. The man who is wise is seeking to learn something. The fool is just looking for joy and happiness. Now, why could Solomon say that? Because Solomon had tried. Let me tell you what goes on in this life. There are some people who think that this whole world is about having fun. Do you like to have fun? I do. Do you like to be sad? I don't. I don't think you do either. But God did not create this world to be a world of all joy. That's the stark, grim reality of life. You will have sadness. You will have sorrow. Verses 5 through 7, he talks about the song of fools set in contrast to the rebuke of the wise. To whom do you listen? Someone says, let's go have a good time. Someone says, I know this person, they're having a difficult time. They need our help. To which will you go? From which will you learn? And then he gives a picture. The fool's laughter in Solomon's word picture here is like you've got a pot burning over an open fire. And under that, the fuel in the fire are thorns. And I don't know if you've ever heard thorns burn, but they snap, crackle, and pop. And he says, that's like the laughter of a fool. That popping sound. Oppression, and the better word really is extortion. One who takes that by force. And bribes, here he says, affect the heart. In verses 5 through 7. Surely oppression or extortion destroys a wise man reason. And he says, a bribe debases the heart. People can be affected, if you will, negatively by other people. Verses 8 through 10, I think it's an important section that maybe we need to think about a little bit. The end of the thing is better than the beginning. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry for... Anger rests in the bosom of fools. Do not say, "Why were the former days better than these?" You know what we like to talk about—the good old days. I sure wish we could go back to the good old days, back when gas was twenty-five cents a gallon, or some of you older than I am, maybe even less. I wish we could go back to the good old days. Really? How many of you enjoy having air conditioning in the summertime? I wish you could go back to the good old days. How many of you grew up and had to make a fire in the stove to cook instead of just punching a button? You see, we have a nostalgia that we look back and what do we see? We only see the good, but we miss the bad that was a part of that time. That's all we remember is the good You want me to give you a good example of that? Listen to Numbers chapter 11 and verse 5. When the children of Israel had been delivered from their Egyptian bondage, God had brought them out into a deliverance in the wilderness. And they said, we remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. We remember the good food we had back there. Oh yeah, and you know what went with it? Bondage under Pharaoh. Oh, you forgot that. Do not say, why are these days not as good as the old days? He said, don't ask that. You're not asking wise. What is the wise You can't change the old days. You've got to live in the present. The hand, if you will, so to speak, that you are dealt today. What will you do with what you've been given today? Verses 11 and 12, he's going to talk about wisdom. He said, wisdom provides like an inheritance, and it protects like money. In other words, wisdom can really help you out. Wisdom can help guide you in what you do. Verses 13 and 14, he uses some words which I think demand that we look at it. Consider the work of God. Solomon is expecting us to ponder with him. I want you to think through some of what he is saying here. These are the verses that Brother Caleb read. What did he say? When God has made something crooked, man can't make it straight. Can I change the plans of God? This morning I mentioned our study from the book of Ephesians that God had a plan from the very foundation of the world. And if he has a plan, can I change that? Can I reverse God? I'm not in that position. I'm not powerful enough. And not intelligent enough. Job learned that. But man can enjoy the present. Listen to what he says here in verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. If you're having a good day today, smile and enjoy it. God gave you this day. But man can't perceive the future apart from God's revelation. Surely God has appointed the one as well as the other so that man can find out nothing that will come after him. God didn't intend for you to be able to decipher completely the future. You can't look into it and say, I know what's going to happen to this person, I know what's going to happen to this person. Hence, both prosperity and adversity are a part of this world that God created. So, as I look at the days of adversity, I look and understand God's behind this great world. Now, how am I going to react to that? Let's look at verses 15 through 29 very quickly here. I have seen everything in the days of vanity, or my days of vanity. There's a just man who perishes in his righteousness. And there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in wickedness. Do not be overly righteous, nor be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Do not be overly wicked, nor be foolish. For why should you die before your time? It is good that you grasp this and also not remove your hand from the other. For he who fears God will escape them all. Wisdom strengthens the wise more than ten rulers of the city. For there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. Also do not take to heart everything people say lest you hear your servant cursing you and For many times also your own heart has known that even you have cursed others. All this I have proved by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but that was far from me. As for that which is far off and exceedingly deep, who can find it out? I applied my heart to know, to search and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things, to know wickedness and uh, folly. even foolishness and madness, and I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart snares and nets, whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God will escape from her, but the sinner shall be trapped by her. Here's what I have found, says the preacher, adding one thing to another to find out the reason which my soul seeks, but I cannot find. One man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all these things I have not found. This only, or truly this only, I have found that God made man upright. They've sought out many schemes. Solomon says, I have seen everything in the days of my vanity. You know, sometimes when you get a little older in life, you feel like you've seen it all. You've seen good days, you've seen bad days. You've seen people succeed, you've seen people fail. Solomon says, I've seen it all in the days of my vanity. What has he seen? He's seen good people suffer. A man in his righteousness fall in his righteousness. He's seen sometimes the wicked succeed. Have you seen that? Solomon says he has. And then in verses 16 through 18, something that you may have found confusing, but this is a play on your self-perception. How do you look at yourself? So you will say, do not be overly righteous. What? Don't be overly righteous? Would you ever say to your children, now don't be too good. Don't obey every time. Don't make good grades in every class. Can you imagine that? That's not what Solomon's talking about. He's talking about a person's view of themselves as being overly righteous. Proverbs 30.12 says, A generation that is pure in their own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. Luke 18, verse 9. Jesus said, He spoke a parable of those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. You see, there are some people who look at themselves and say, I am not a sinner. And of course, He's going to go on to say, There's no one who is righteous and does not sin. So there are some people who have this idea, I'm overly righteous. But at the same time, He says, Do not be overly wicked. He's not suggesting that being a little wicked is okay. You know, you can be a sinner as long as you're not one of these vile sinners. One of these guys who goes out and really tries to get in a lot of trouble. You can just get in a little trouble. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying don't give in to the wicked desires. And Solomon says something here that I think demands again our attention. He said it is good to grasp this. My perception of who I am. That's important. For me to see myself as who I really am. Well, who am I? Verse 20. There is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. Paul would echo this in Romans 3, 9 and 10. Well, then are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged that both Jews and Greeks, that they're all under sin. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. Am I better than you? Not at all. Are you better than me? Not at all. We go down to verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have a common affliction. That affliction is we are sinners. We choose the wrong sometimes. Sadly so, but we do. Verses 21 and 22 fit in this context. Because sometimes we look at other people and we say, Did you hear what they said? Did you hear what they did? Look at verse 21. And do not not take to heart everything that they say, everything people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you, for many times also your own heart has known that even you have cursed others. You hear someone else and you see what they have done and you think, aha, look, they don't have a genuine heart. They're not loyal like I am. He said, look at yourself. Sometimes they're just spouting off just like you spout off. Do you see what Solomon is trying to drive home here? Look, How do you look at yourself? Verses 25 through 29, he says, I applied my heart to know. Here's what I have found. Well, what did he find? Number one, adding one thing to another to find out the reason. Have you ever tried to put things together to try to assemble, to figure things out in life? Well, Solomon says, I did. What did he find? My soul still seeks, but I cannot find. I really don't have all the answers. That may come as a shock to many people. But man always doesn't have the answers. We don't always know unless God tells us. Here's what he has found that he knows is true. Truly this only I have found, that God made man upright. But they have sought out many schemes. God didn't make you to be a sinner. God didn't make you to do wrong. God made you to do right. But He gave you the freedom of choice so that if you wish to do so, you can choose right. The sad fact is that many of us are in defiance of God. God did not make man to turn out to be bad. As you ponder the adversity of life and the sinfulness of man, you must realize this is not the way God intended it to be. Ponder this world and what it has to offer, and there's only one conclusion. God provides the only way to real peace and joy. No man can tell you. No man can describe it for you. I thought it's appropriate you know, each of us have our own daily Bible readings. When I'm preaching from the Old Testament, I try to also read quite a bit from the New Testament. And you come to John 10, and Jesus makes a very powerful statement in verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and may have it more abundantly. That's really what it's all about. You study the book of Ecclesiastes and when you walk away it says here's what the world offers here's what God offers. The world is going to offer you death. Sadness. But Jesus is offering you an abundant life. What a privilege we have tonight that we can be His children. When we come to this part of the lesson each and every time it's a time when we extend the Lord's invitation that if you want to become a Christian a child of God if you believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God how do I know that because the Ethiopian eunuch said see here's water what hinders me to be baptized Philip said if you believe with all your heart you may you have to repent of your sins that means to be sorry for what you have done and want to make a change in your life. You have to confess that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. With a mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Romans chapter 10, verse 10. And then to be baptized. That means to be immersed in water for the remission of your sins. Acts chapter 2, and verse 38. What a privilege tonight. If you've not done that, you can do it. But God also has children. Sometimes we're walking with Him. Sometimes we're not. And God offers us His hand extended because He loves us. That if we need to come back home, that He'll receive us. If you need to respond tonight, would you come as we stand and as we sing?